This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is Whose Am I? So if you're following along on YouVersion, uh, you can go to the live section of that and you can download that. And the title of my message is Whose Am I? We're going to look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. We got all the way to verse 10 last week as we're going through the book of Galatians verse by verse. And remember here that Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia because he's wanting to bring them back to the correct belief of their acceptance of justification through faith only because they've been believing the lie of justification through works. Now, Paul preached the gospel of free grace that's received by faith in Jesus alone. But remember, there was a group called the Judaizers that were invading the area of Galatia, which was made up of a group of cities, and they taught faith in Christ, plus you need to become a Jew and observe all the Jewish traditions and the religious observances, and then, and only then, the Judaizers taught where you made right in the eyes of God. The Judaizers also questioned the legitimacy of Paul's calling as an apostle. And they actually accused him of making salvation through faith in Jesus too easy. They said, listen, Paul, you're making this thing too easy. We don't like it, okay? Because we're people who grew up in a very Jewish culture who understood that we followed the law and this is how we were made right in the eyes of God even though they didn't properly understand the purpose of the law. This is still what they believed. So they added Jesus plus all of this other stuff to salvation. So they even made it more complicated. And so they claimed, Paul, you're making this too easy. And they said, the reason you're making it so easy is because you're only wanting to financially support your ministry. And you think that if you preach something that's easier to people, like free grace, then people are going to give you more money and you can buy nicer camels or whatever they bought back in those days. And that's what he was being accused of. So here... Paul is dealing with, in the letter to the churches of Galatia, he's not only dealing with the teaching of the Judaizers, but he is also dealing with responding to accusations. He's responding to these things because he wants them to understand that this message that he taught and that he's teaching them and that their church was founded on, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of free grace, that it's not a works thing, lest any man should boast, but it's received by faith. And that's how Jesus wants us to receive him. That's how we were made right in the eyes of God, through faith in the finished work of the cross. That's why Romans 1.17 says the just live by faith. It's not something we've done. And so Paul wants to make sure he drives that home as well as they understand that this didn't come from him. This wasn't something that he had a bad pizza night. This wasn't something that maybe he had a, a little too much sake one night. And all of a sudden he had this great idea. No, this was the message of Jesus. This is what he came to do. And he wanted to let them know that this was a legitimate message. And really he's answering the question of whose am I? Whose am I? Because how, when, when opposition comes, when people want to threaten my identity, when they want to threaten what I believe, how do I stand firm in my calling? How do I stand firm in who I am without being boastful, without being prideful? How do I walk confidently but yet not arrogantly? How do I conduct myself in a way that will bring glory to God but yet also let me position myself in a place where I know who 
I am, and I know whose I am. So I think what Paul's going to be dealing with here and what we're going to deal with and, and, and lift out of this text today is how we can walk confidently in our calling as followers of Jesus in the face of opposition. A guy that I've been studying some of his material and reading as I've been preparing these messages in Galatians by the name of Ron Cottle said this, to rest salvation on anything else but the sheer grace of God is to replace the gospel by something which is a complete perversion of it. He said to rest salvation on anything else but the sheer grace of God is to replace the gospel with something else. And this is exactly what the Judaizers were doing. They were replacing the free gift of grace that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for you and for me and made it. Yeah, he did that, but now you've got to do all this for God to love you, for God to accept you, instead of believing that salvation came through faith. They said, now you've got to become a Jew. Now you've got to follow all the observances. Now you've got to follow all the law. Now you've got to do all these things. Now that you're a Christian, if you really want to be justified in the eyes of God. So let's read in Galatians 1. Let's pick up in verse 10. We read verse 10 last week, but I think it flows better if we read 10, and then we go on through 11, and we're going to read um, to verse 24. Verse 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He said, But I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me... It's not according to man, for neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You've heard in my former conduct in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son to me that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. I returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. You remember Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the one who denied Him three times and later went on to champion the cause of Christ and ended up... Being a martyr for the sake of Christ. You remember Peter. Verse 19. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was unknown by, the face, uh, by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God in me. I love the way that Paul states this so boldly in verse 10. He said, am I now trying to persuade men? Am I trying to please men? Or am I trying to please God? And as we go to answer the question of whose am I, really whom you seek to please is whom you're going to serve. That's the one you're going to serve is the one that you seek to please. That's why Paul led off by saying, am I trying to please men? Or am I trying to please God? Am I trying to serve men's opinion, man's view of me? Or am I serving God? Because who you seek to please is who you're going to serve. Paul stated that the gospel he preached was from God and not from man. He wanted to drive that home. He reminded them of how he was regarded in his former life 
as a Pharisee. How he was feared by Christians. I mean, here's the guy that everybody's afraid of. Here's the guy that everybody shakes in their boots when they hear his name. When you hear that Saul of Tarsus is riding his horse into town, you think, oh my goodness, is he coming to our house? Is he going to find out about us? Did someone leak information about the fact that we have been secretly meeting in our home to talk about Jesus or, or, or to spread the good news of the gospel? And it's caught wind. Uh, he's caught wind of it. And now he's riding here and he's going to arrest my dad or, or my mom or my husband or, or my wife or possibly kill. I've heard that he even, he even had a guy stoned because of his faith in Christ. Is he going to stone me? I mean, and all these murmurings and all this fear that was stirring up in the camp. And people, they, they were afraid of this guy. And now you hear Saul's coming to town, but we're calling him Paul now, by the way. And he's going to preach to you, and he's actually preaching about Jesus. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to come to his meeting or not. I'm thinking it's a setup. Wouldn't you think that it's a setup if we were alive during those times? I mean, come on. Let's take off this super spiritual veil of the fact that this happened thousands of years ago, and let's put it into our modern day viewpoint here. If there was someone that was trying to kill us, and then he said, oh, by the way, the thing I used to try to kill you for, I'm now actually preaching and teaching that, so come hear me preach and teach. Yeah, we'll get right on that. (laughs) And that's exactly where they were, too. That's exactly what they're thinking, but yet they've heard how his life has been radically transformed, and they hear how this guy has changed, and they hear how God has gripped his heart, how he was actually on the road to Damascus to go kill more Christians because he heard there were some in in Damascus, and him and his party were heading out, and then all of a sudden God knocks the guy off of his horse. He's so startled, and then he speaks to him and confronts him face to face, and it changes his life. And, and, And here's the thing. When you look at the legitimacy of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, what did this guy have to gain from changing his life and turning his life around for Christ? He ended up dying because of it. When he was persecuting the church, he was celebrated. He was top of his class. He was even looked at and revered by his his, his own group of folks. They thought, this guy's special. This is the Apostle. So Paul, I mean, this guy, he he knows his stuff, and yet, now at the same time, he's going to be willing to give up all the prestigious life that he had before in order to serve Christ, in order to give everything for him. So he said, listen, this message that I'm preaching to you, it's not something about me. He said, it's all about Jesus. He said, I didn't get this from man. This is not me trying to please man. He said, because if I tried to please man, I would be a servant of men. So whom you seek to please is whom you're going to serve. In verse 15 and 16, we see here where it said, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, he said, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. So here in verse 15 and 16, we see the sovereign election of God by Paul to be an apostle. Because this was not Paul's heart was moved. He heard a good sermon. He was on his way to kill Christians, man. I mean, you can't argue with that. You can't. It wasn't like all of a sudden Paul started hearing just as I am. What is that going on? I'm hearing just as I am. And a little tear came down as I hold the phone. Let me give my life to Jesus. That's not what happened. 
It was God smacking this guy and just confronting him and saying, Hey, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He immediately was confronted with Jesus face to face. That's why he said, When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me, he said, So I would preach him among the Gentiles. You see, here we see that he wanted to clarify that he had nothing to do with this. It wasn't anything that he conjured up or someone tried to trick him into. It wasn't anything that someone tried to persuade him to do. He said, listen, this was God at work in me. It was a divine, personal encounter with God. And I personally believe that God, being all-knowing, reveals himself to us when it pleases him because he knows when our hearts are going to be best positioned to hear the truth. We sometimes use this phrase. We call it divine appointment. I also believe that God knows whether we're going to accept or reject that revelation of grace to us. But he reveals himself in a way that I believe that on the day of judgment, we're going to be without excuse. I believe that. That's why I believe that that's what Paul meant in Romans 1 and 20. He said, even, even creation, you can look around. He said, and it screams that there's a God. He said, so on the day of judgment, they're going to be without excuse. They're going to be able to say, no, no, God revealed himself to us in so many different ways that he tried to grip our heart at that moment that he knew that we would be most pliable because he's that good and he loves us that much, that he's willing that none should perish, but he wants everyone to come and to know his great life through faith in Christ and have eternal life and spend eternity with him. And that's what he wants for us. That's why God so loved the world that he gave. Amen? And I believe that he reveals himself to us and he's trying to draw us to him. But I also believe that in that moment that we have that choice, I believe in that moment that we can go, God, I, I, I don't want your son. I, I'm closing my fist and I'm shaking it at you and I'm rejecting you. Or I'm going to move with what you're moving on my heart. Because Paul sought only to please God. And when everything started firing in his brain, all the things he had learned in the Old Testament, all of the traditions he had learned, all of the laws that he had learned, and when he saw Jesus weaved all throughout those, it just became an explosion. It became a revelation in his mind. All of a sudden, all of the dots started connecting, and Paul started going, hold the phone. We've got it all wrong. I need to take a few years and sort all of this out. He said, that's why I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. I needed to get alone because I know the scriptures better than any of my contemporaries. I was taught by the best of the best. I know the entire Old Testament. Paul could quote the Old Testament, okay? And he knew and understood it. Not just had it memorized, okay, but understood it. And now all of a sudden that he's been confronted with the reality of Jesus, he sees Jesus weaved all throughout the Old Testament that he's been so diligent to learn and so diligent to study. And so i got to have some time to process this. I just was confronted with Jesus. And then it all began to just connect and he began to see what God was showing him and what God was trying to do in him. He said, listen, I want you to please me because this is all about Jesus. So when the pressure comes, when people want to try to get up in Paul's face and they want to accuse him, when the Judaizers want to ride into town and say, oh, you're just doing this for money. Oh, you're just doing this because you're trying to be somebody. Oh, you're making grace and, and the gospel too easy. We don't like this free grace thing. So, so we think you, you've got ulterior motive. Paul said, listen, listen. I'm not doing this to please man. Because if I did that, I'd be serving. He said, I'm doing this to please God. 
Because conviction is going to withstand pressure. Amen? It's going to withstand pressure. When pressure comes, and pressure is coming, and pressure is here. You look at our society. Pressure that is anti-Christ, that is anti-Christian, is ever prevalent in our world today. That the spirit of antichrist is on the rise. And when the spirit of antichrist wants to come face to face with you and me, what am I going to do? Am I going to stand like Paul? Am I going to know not only who I am, but whose I am? That I am bought with a price that I am not my own? That the shed blood of Jesus paid the price for me and He has now purchased me with His blood and He has counted me right in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you, for me, for all of us because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need that blood of Jesus that washes over us and makes us white as snow. So therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, After 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me. I went up by revelation, and I communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, so they would bring us back into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission, not even for an hour. Yet the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whoever they were, makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, they added nothing to me. So here we see that Paul is standing his ground in the face of those who would want to question him. He's standing his ground in the face of those who were people of reputation. In other words, he's standing in front of the movers and shakers of the day. I mean, you got the popular folks in the room. you got the celebrities in the room. You got the people, you know, who are who are on all of the latest talk shows in the room. All the people who are the A-list celebrities in the room. And Paul said these people were men of reputation. People knew these guys. They were popular. They were well liked. And they were trying to argue with us about this free grace because they wanted us to hold to Judaism and they wanted to pressure us to be like them. He said, and and even my boy Titus over here, he said, he was not circumcised, which was a big no-no if you were a Jew. And he said, he wasn't even compelled to be circumcised. They didn't pressure him to where he said, man, I'm I'm here. I I, I better go handle something. Um, Excuse me, doc. He didn't feel pressured to be accepted by that group to go through the process of circumcision in order for those guys to accept him. He said, no, no, no. He wasn't even persuaded. He said, not even for an hour. He said, we didn't give in. Because we're so convinced that what we have is the truth. Because we're so convinced that what we have is right and accurate because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel by which men are saved. And there is no other way to the Father except this way. And we so strongly believe that that even when all the popular people are in the room, We're not going to crumble. We're not going to falter. 
I remember one time when I was about 14 years old. I was on vacation with my family, and my cousin from Michigan went with me. I used to think that my cousin from Michigan talked funny, but I don't anymore. (laughs) But but anyways, I I was living in Arkansas at the time, and we were all like, hey, y'all. My cousin was all like, you know, oh, hey, how you doing? I'm like, however people from Michigan talk, sorry, I know you guys are from Michigan, I know. Okay, so anyways... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> however people from Michigan talk. Anyways, my cousin and I, we love spending time together. My cousin was a little bit of a rebel. He's a little bit of a kind of a bad boy, you know, typical bad boy. And my parents really didn't like the influence that he had on me, so they tried to limit the time we spent together. Well, one night when we were staying at this condo, my cousin and I sneak out to go to the pool because he said he wanted to go talk to girls. I had no idea what that even meant, but I thought that sounded awesome because he wanted to go do it. And he was like two or three years older than me. So we sneak out of the condo, and we go to talk to girls. And there were, sure enough, some girls at the pool. And he starts being all slick and starts using language that is not okay for me to use in my home. And he starts saying things that made me very uncomfortable. And then he said something to the effect of, yeah, this is my cousin, Derek, but uh, don't worry about him. He's religious. (laughs) And I looked, and I said, I said, Oh, oh no! I'm, I'm, I'm not religious. I mean, I'm a Christian, but I mean, I'm, not, you know, I, and I was trying to play it down to be cool and be accepted by those other people. I remember something just punched me in the stomach, and I told him, I said, I, I, I got to go be alone for a minute. And I walked out on this super long pier that was there at the condo, and then there was a little, uh, uh, like a canopy thing at the very end of it, uh, and I went and sat under that canopy at the end of that long pier. I remember I just wept because I felt like, oh my gosh. I didn't stand up for my faith. I didn't even, you know, because I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant in that moment. And I thought, oh, Lord, forgive me. And I felt so broken, and I was just weeping in that moment. And, you know, I look back on that, and I think, wow. In that moment, I allowed the pressure of other people for me to cause me to just crumble instead of being a light and being a witness. How many times? Have each one of us been in that same scenario in some way, shape, or form? Where we either were quiet, or we didn't say anything when we were asked, or we just kind of hide over in the corner and hope no one notices us. And I think that the pressure is only going to grow and grow. It's not going to get less in our culture today, folks. Amen? It's only going to get more heated. It's only going to get more intense. But here's the beauty. You're sitting here today hearing this word that I truly believe is from the Lord to share to you, to encourage you when the pressure comes, stand. Because let me tell you something, we were called for such a time as this. God chose that we would be born in this time on earth during these events that are happening in the history of man now because he has something for you and for me and we're supposed to let that light shine. So that means that if he has destined us to be born in this century, during this time, during this political climate, in this country, and you and I are sitting here hearing the message of the gospel today, that means that there is still hope that men can be saved because there's still people that are standing on the solid rock. There's still people who are holding fast to the confession of their faith. There's still people who believe in something when everyone else believes in nothing. There's still people that believe. So because there's still people who believe, you're one of those people 
who was called and ordained for such a time as this. However old you are, that's how old God wanted you to be at this point in history because he knew that you would be able to affect whatever age group you're in or whatever people that you could be mentoring that would be younger than you or whatever people you could be learning from that would be older than you. He knew it was all going to happen. God didn't go, oh, snap, I didn't know that was going to happen. God didn't go, oh, I'm real nervous. I wonder what's going to happen. I've got to turn on the news. I need to, Gabriel, get me my newspaper. I've got to see what's happening in America today. He's not sweating it. He knows you're here. He wanted you here. He wanted you born. He wanted you hearing this message because he wants you to stand. And because he wants you to stand, those he calls, he equips. You ain't getting this today. Let me say that again. I said those who he calls, he equips. That means you're being equipped to stand with conviction under pressure in this day and age right now. For such a time as this, you have been called to be a carrier of the gospel. You are not an accident. You are not happenstance. I don't care under what circumstances you were brought into this world, no matter whether you were planned, unplanned, whether you were wanted, unwanted. Right now, God has a plan for you. God has a desire for you, and it is to stand and to be a container of His glory, to be reflecting who He is to a world that's hopeless, to stand when the pressure comes and know not only who I am, but know whose I am. That I am not my own, that I was bought with a price. That's why I can boldly say, like Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable act of worship. Amen? Amen. The Scriptures, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, and our experiences produce evidence in our lives that help us to move from a place of belief to a place of conviction. Because the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, and our experiences validate one another. They should never conflict. If they conflict, we need to always go back to the source and check the Scripture. Amen? Because sometimes I may have an experience and I'll go, well, because I experienced it, then that must mean that it is true. And then I turn it into a conviction. Yeah, but does it line up with Scripture? You see, it all has to agree. Well, just because I hear something or just because I feel something doesn't necessarily mean that it's directly from God. Is it lining up with Scripture? Because it conflicts with Scripture, then we need to weigh those truths against one another. That's why the Bible says that the Word of God is alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit. It divides between joint and marrow so we can know what the truth is. Because God wants you to know the truth. Amen? He doesn't want you guessing and He doesn't want you to make it up. And go, well, I'll just make up my own truth. No, God said that that we're going to allow His truth, His Word, to define for us in this world of confusion. In this world of I'm going to choose to believe whatever I want to believe and therefore that makes it true. No, no, no. The Bible is true and I choose to believe it. Amen? Amen? So the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and our experiences produce evidence in our lives that move us from belief to conviction. Think about the example of the Apostle Paul, okay? Paul understood the Scripture. He had the Scriptures down better than anybody. But yet he didn't properly understand what they were saying. And so he was confronted. He had this experience with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit began to grip his heart, work on his heart when he opened his heart up to him. And when he did that, he was a changed man. 
And because of that, he moved from just a belief or a basic understanding in something to a conviction. Because now I've heard it, I know it, I've experienced it, and the Holy Spirit has sealed it and confirmed it in my heart. And I know that it's true. That's the kind of stuff that's going to stand under pressure. Paul spent years, we read here just a few minutes ago, he spent years allowing the Holy Spirit to lead his knowledge of Scripture as a Pharisee so he could piece together that revelation of who Jesus is. And what he did for humanity by dying on the cross. He, he saw the evidence of this through his own personal experience. And his conviction positioned him to withstand the pressure of those people of reputation. Let's keep on reading in verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as for the gospel of the circumcised to Peter, for he worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, or he's talking about the Jews when you see that. He means that, that Peter was mainly reaching Jewish people. He also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles, or the Gentiles being the non-Jewish people, the people who were not either born natural Jews or people who didn't commit to Judaism through circumcision and, 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 and other ordinances. Verse 9, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome. That, I mean, just think about it. If you come in my house and, 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 and we want to be close friends, that's going to be my new thing. All right? I give you the right hand of fellowship. We're going to do that. Okay? <laughs> it just sounded really cool. <laughs> he said, they gave us the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they, should, uh, and they to the circumcised or to the Jewish people. Verse 10, they desired only that we re remember the poor, the very thing which I was also very eager to do. The Jews were very, very generous um, to the poor. Uh, verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. This is, this is Peter, okay? This is Peter, all right? Jesus loved Peter. He said, Peter, he said, he said upon this rock, he said, I'm going to build the church. The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. He, he explained the revelation to Peter. Peter got it. He understood it. Peter ran with it. Peter reached the Jewish people for the sake of the gospel and ended up dying upside down on a cross for the sake of preaching the gospel. Peter, who was there in the upper room, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and as, as tongues of fire and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and, 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 and people began to think they were drunk. Peter stood up and said, no, this is what was prophesied by the, the prophet Joel. Peter. Paul said, I was stood into his face. I got up in Peter's grill. I got up in his face because he was to be blamed. Hold up. Peter? Let's think about Peter for a minute. And then let's think about Paul. And if people would reference Paul in accordance to his prior life, and then you think about Peter, how dare you get in Peter's face? But this is why. This is how adamant that Paul is about the gospel, that even Peter began to deviate. Because check, out, check it out. This is what happened. Verse 12. Before certain men came from, uh, came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles... But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So he would eat with the Gentiles. But then when James came around, James' brother of Jesus, oh, snap, here he comes. i got to go in the other room. Oh, I'm not going to eat with these Gentiles. <laughs> no. Hey, James, what's up? <laughs> That's what happened. 
Man, because he didn't want him to see that. Verse 13, then the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now you're starting to influence Barnabas. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before all of them, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And Peter said, Okay. <laughs> Could you imagine that setting and how adamant and passionate Paul was defending the gospel in front of these very men who walked with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry? You want to know why Paul was willing to do that? Because it was right. And he saw these guys being hypocritical and he stood with conviction. He stood with conviction. You see, because being sure of whose you are, being sure enables you to stand. Paul was sure of what he believed, and he was sure why he believed it. When you couple passion, conviction, and knowledge, it enables you to stand. Because knowing whose you are comes from knowing the price that was paid. God paid the ultimate price for us by sending His Son for you and for me. Amen? Amen? Paul stood up to the hypocrisy of Peter because the integrity of the gospel was more valuable to him than these hotshot apostles' opinions. Wow. Being sure of why we believe what we believe. Being confident in whose I am that I'm going to be willing to say, no, that's, that's hypocrisy. We're not going down that road. Barnabas, get back over here. We're not going down that road. You're not going to sit there and eat with Gentiles and be all chummy chummy until somebody walks in the room who is a notable Jew and then go, oh, uh, uh, huh. hey, you, you should be a Jew. <laughs> We're not going to do that. No more than... We're going to talk about God in the break room until someone walks in that we know is not a Christian. Then all of a sudden we change the subject. We're not going to apologize for who we are. Amen? We're not going to apologize for who we are. We're going to share the gospel with other people without fear of man's opinion because we know whose we are. We know the value that God has placed on us by sending His Son. 
and how he bought us with a price. And that's why Paul said, we're not our own. He said, we're bought with a price. He said, I was crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm dead to who I used to be. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ now who's calling the shots. It's Christ now who lives in me. So the world needs to see Christ in me. If anything comes against Christ in me, I need to be able to stand. Because opposition is everywhere, folks. And the enemy wants to come in and try to intimidate Christians. The enemy wants to come and intimidate the church. The enemy wants us to be silent with this message of the gospel that brings hope. The enemy wants us to just crumple and, 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 and just dissolve and try to render us ineffective. But we need to keep preaching grace. We need to keep preaching love. We need to keep preaching repentance. We need to keep preaching mercy. We need to keep preaching growing in your relationship with God so you can grow on that solid foundation that is Christ. Amen? Amen. That's why we need to be busy about making disciples like Jesus called us to who are growing in loving God, loving people, and serving the world, who will serve other people unashamedly, who will love other people right where they're at unashamedly. Who is going to bring love and truth to a world that is sick, lost, hopeless, and dying. That needs to know that there is a Savior who will forgive them, who loves them right where they're at. Because while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And they need to hear that message. And we're containers of that message. Amen? Amen. And when people try to, try to come against us and try to pressure us, say, no, I, I, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm not going to go pushing other people around as, as just another stereotypical, judgmental type person who thinks he's better than other people. No. That's not what we're doing here. But when others want to try to knock me out, I'm going to go, no, this is where I stand on this. And, and, and I, 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 I may not be in, invited back to the party. But, but I can't do this. I'm not going to go there. This is what I believe and why I believe it. This is, this is me loving you right where you're at. This is me giving you the same grace that God gave to me. Amen, church? Amen. So let me ask you, whose are you? Who paid the price for you? How valuable is the act that purchased our freedom from sin to us? See, as a Christian, your faith is going to be put under the spotlight by this world, by religious people. (laughs) Don't forget about that crowd. (laughs) And even people who you may admire or you may think highly of, people of reputation, just like the Apostle Paul. But knowing whose you are and why you believe what you believe will enable you to stand. We're not going out looking for opposition. We're not going out on a hunt for opposition. Believe me, there's plenty of people doing that. But when we're met with opposition, we need to have the faith to stand because we know who we are. Because we're bought with a price. We're valuable to the creator of the universe. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. And verse 16 says, When you have done everything that you know to do to have stood and to stand, you know what you need to keep on doing? You need to stand. You need to just keep on standing. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what pressures you walked in here with. 
but I know that Jesus is still the answer. And I know that no matter how complicated life gets or how dark life gets, I know Jesus is still the answer. Amen? Amen. I know that no matter how hopeless things may be, you may be dealing with a relational crisis, you may be dealing with financial crisis, you may be dealing with crisis at work, crisis with your children, you may be living in fear or anxiety, you may be controlling your life, addiction may be controlling your life, but I know Jesus is still the answer. Amen? Amen. Jesus has always been the answer. He will always be the answer. He's still the answer. And He's loving you right where you're at. And He's saying, you never stop needing me. You never stop needing me. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine just yesterday. And he said, you know, he said, it really is true. We never stop needing Jesus. I said, yeah. I've heard a guy say that once or twice. We never... Stop needing Jesus. We never get to a place where we stop needing Him. Matter of fact, the longer we're in this journey, church, and I say it all the time, the sweeter and sweeter knowing Him should be, the sweeter and sweeter the cross should be to us, the tighter to Him we should cling. Amen? Because that's where my salvation comes from. That's where my hope comes from. That's where my peace comes from. That's where I can be like when Jesus said to those who were listening to Him that day, why do you fear man? Man can kill the body, but has no say over the soul. He said, instead, if you're going to fear someone, if you're going to walk in fear, he said, walk in fear of God. He said, because he can both kill body and soul. He said, if you're going to serve someone, because whom you fear is whom you're going to serve, and my fear and, 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 and my care for for." for His opinion of me, for His love for me, for, for, for his, his acceptance of me. Instead of serving man's approval, man's acceptance, I want to serve what it takes to please and be accepted by God. Amen? And what does it take to be accepted by God? What does it take? Faith in Jesus. Amen? By faith in grace that was given to us as a gift, are we saved? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Would you bow your head? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.